Good morning and welcome to worship. Our Holy Gospel today is from the 6th chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 27. Glory to you, O Lord. We continue to uh, hear more of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, and this is where we pick up today. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those for whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The Gospel of our Lord. Invite you to uh, pray with me the Holy Spirit prayer this morning in our time of meditation together. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit, who instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in your consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Boy, there's a whole lot of stuff in this text today, isn't there? We could, I'm, I'm sure it would be well worth our time to uh, perhaps maybe even spend a, a sermon series on uh, just this passage alone. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff there. You know, it was just six weeks ago, six short weeks ago that I was standing before you and I was introducing you to the season of Epiphany. That word Epiphany, it has a connotation that it's a period or a time in our lives where there's this time of revealing, this time of revelation, and perhaps some kind of discovery. How often have you found yourself saying, oh, I had an Epiphany moment the other day. Yeah, that's basically what that's all about. And these past six weeks during this season of Epiphany, it's actually been a time for us to see God reveal God's intention to the world through the person of Jesus Christ. It's God's divine vision, it's God's divine plan, God's divine justice that's going to be happening in and through the person of Jesus. 
Reverend David Teedy, he's a uh, well-known college, I mean, seminary professor. He's also the president of of Luther Northwestern Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. He talks about this passage, and he said this whole thing about epiphany is that it's God's divine righteousness that is alien to this world. I find that to be kind of an interesting statement in the sense that, yes, much of what Jesus taught to the world didn't seem very practical at all. But in God's God's divine justice and God's divine vision, it was very much something that was alien to this world. We've, for this last six weeks or so, we've had this opportunity to have an introduction, a glimpse into who Jesus is and what his ministry is going to be about. And one of the things that I have found interesting about these passages as I have studied them and as I have uh, had opportunity to read on these various passages is that so often throughout these text the 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 tense of the words the tense of the words always have this implication that they are a continuation of they are something that's still ongoing that these that, that this vision that this divine justice that these teachings of Jesus that they are something that not only was happening in the time of Jesus but the implication behind Jesus voice and the way he said it was is that this is something that's going to keep going on and on and on. In other words, this divine vision and this divine teaching is something that is ongoing even to this day in our very context. And that's the implication of what Jesus was talking about. You know, I even find these passages from the Old Testament that they can also be vibrant and living, just as living and as vibrant as passages from the New Testament. And so often when we read Old Testament passages and we reflect upon them, they are just as much a part of God's salvation history as are the stories and the passages of the New Testament. And so, so often as we hear these stories, they are stories of people who have been called, they've been called to be faithful, and yet time and time again they fall short. Numerous stories all throughout the Old Testament are much like that. And yet in the midst of all of the falling short and all of the failures, God remains faithful and God's redemption is evident in those stories of the Old Testament. And we have one of those stories before us today in this Old Testament text. It's a wonderful story of redemption and forgiveness. It's a fascinating story of Joseph and his brothers. There were 12 of them, you know. I hope that you take some time this week to actually go back and read that entire story. It's in the book of Genesis, and I would suggest that you start at about chapter 37. And it concludes here with the reading that we had today in chapter 45. You know, so eight, nine chapters of the Old Testament. It's not that difficult to make that, make that effort to do that. And I think it'll be a passage that will come alive for you again. It's a fascinating, fascinating story of deception and lies and cover-up. All of us know, or at least from what we remember about the Joseph story, is that he was one of 12 brothers. He was very much disliked. And I just want to read to you a little bit short, short passage here. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to, had been born to Jacob in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that this, his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a word to him. 
Anyway, that's the beginning of this story of Joseph and his brothers. And even though this story ends, it, 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 it has a lot of deception, it has a lot of lies, it has a lot of cover-up. Um, you're going to discover as you read this story that the brothers basically uh, schemed to kill Joseph, but uh, they threw him in a, into a cistern. They were going to slaughter a, a sheep or a lamb, and they were going to put all that blood on the lambs uh, on the on the on the coat, and they were going to take it back to Jacob and say that that uh, Joseph had been killed by a, a wild beast. But then came along comes this uh, kind of this band of uh, nomads, and they decide that they sell Joseph instead to these these nomadic travelers, and they tend they end up taking him off to Egypt, where he's sold into slavery and in prison in prison there. And of course, we also know that during the time that Joseph was in Egypt, that you know, he had the gift of having these dreams that were interpreted, or he had, he had the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And uh, the story continues on, and, and Joseph ends up having significant prominence in uh, Pharaoh is in the leadership of Pharaoh's court. You know, the rest is history. And I I just think it's important for you to take a moment and just uh, read through that entire story. It's a fascinating story of how his his brothers come and they're they're having a significant famine in their land. They come to Egypt to get more uh, food and grain. Joseph recognizes his brothers. And it's just that, and then of course the culmination was the passage that was read today of how the, the brothers encounter Joseph and how he forgives them and uh, blesses them. One of the things that I had the privilege to do back in 1980 when I started seminary, I started during the J term, which is the month of January. I was one of those middle-of-the-road seminarians. I didn't start in the regular fall season. I started midterm. And it happened that that particular uh, January term, one of the things that they were offering was that they were offering a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat musical, and I got involved in that, and I was one of the 12 brothers in that musical. I was Dan, and not that that really made any difference because I was just one of 12, but um, it was really fascinating to have this opportunity to bring that story to life through uh, word and through song and to have that uh, musical production that we were able to pull off in just four short weeks. Can you imagine memorizing and learning your lines and learning all of those songs that we sang and all of the different acting that we did and we pulled all that off in a period of just four short weeks. And I, I remember it being one of the more gratifying experiences of my life to be performing in front of a sold-out audience in the low chapel there at Wartburg Seminary and to basically be uh, literally uh, filled to capacity three different times when we put that production on. So again, it is a tremendous story of of redemption and forgiveness that comes alive for us and I would encourage you to take some time to read that this week. You know, as I was reflecting upon this passage this week, I kept thinking back to my youth. I grew up in a small town in South Dakota, and I was I very much I, I, I very much like most people who grew up in small town America. It was a typical uh, typical neighborhood. I had my neighborhood friends that I hung out and I played with. But one of the things that I distinctly remember about my friends growing up as a kid was that friendship was always very tenuous. I had two boys in my neighborhood who were the same age as me. And when I would hang out with one or the other of them, we would get along great. We played together, we did things together, um, you know, that normal, everyday guys and boys would do. 
But every time, not, I, I wouldn't say necessarily every time, but f- frequently, frequently, when the three of us would get together, a different dynamic took place. It was kind of a strange dynamic. It was, I almost felt as if, no, I, I didn't almost, I did. I felt as though the other two boys were scheming against me and making me feel as though I wasn't a part of them. And many of the times when they would do that, some of the things that they would do to me were downright mean and very hurtful. And I found myself, rather than retaliating or fighting back, I would just simply leave and I would go home. Somehow, well, I don't know if it was somehow. I, I, I know for a fact, as I think back on it now, that at a very young age of my life, my parents instilled a principle in me. And that principle that they instilled in me was you are to treat other people as you would want to be treated. And somehow that stuck. So instead of retaliating and fighting back against my two neighborhood friends, I would just simply go home. I suppose in in a certain sense you could say that I was turning the other cheek. Technically that's not what I was doing, but in a certain sense that's kind of what I was doing. Because something within me said that the way that they're treating me is not right. And I'm not going to fight back or retaliate. And for some strange reason, my brain kept telling me that I'm not going to let them determine what my actions are going to be. You know, and I, as I think back on those times and those experiences, and I, I, I want to call them neighborhood friends, but there's also a part of me that at that particular point, stage in my life, I, I, I simply refer to them as my neighborhood counterparts. It was not easy for me, and I have to admit that there were times in my very young age that I felt very alone and very alienated from them. But in the overall scheme of things, I could not bring myself to be mean or to be hurtful like they had been to me. Now, over a period of time, that all subsided and went away as we got older. That whatever that, whatever that dynamic was that was going on, it's, it, it went away eventually as we got older and matured. But I still wonder, I still wonder to this day whether or not those two boys really ever truly knew what they were doing. Did they really think about it? These words and these teachings and instructions by Jesus, they are words that speak to the very heart of what it means for us to follow Christ. But they also speak to us about the ways in which we can remain grounded and anchored in the faith. That tense, that tense, the way Jesus speaks, that present, ongoing, continuing tense of these words, they are constantly calling us to listen to, but not not only listen, 
but to do them. And as we read to the end of this passage today, and I would encourage you to go home and do that, Jesus speaks about being anchored, about laying a foundation dug deep and laid upon a rock. And that foundation, that anchor, is this living word that's grounded in a more perfect love. And that perfect love is called agape love. It's the kind of love that only Christ can offer us and extend to us, even as we continue to fail and fall again and again and again. Richard Jensen, he was one of my seminary professors when I was at Wartburg Seminary. He wrote a book on the Gospel of Luke called Preaching Luke's Gospel. And he offers some words concerning this passage before us today. He says that Jesus' words for us today hear these words as being Jesus speaking to us right now. I call to you to live your lives out of an alternative vision of reality. I call you to live your lives as lives that reverse the values of this culture. I call you to love your enemy, to turn the other cheek, to give your possessions to those in need, and judge not the lives of others. Be merciful even as I am merciful to you. I have come to nourish your entire life with mercy. I love that phrase. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. Jesus is saying to you, I have come to nourish your entire life with mercy. And I have come to empower you with the mercy in order that you may indeed live a new kind of life in this world. In our men's fellowship this past Tuesday, there was a lot of sharing. Very intimate, difficult, vulnerable sharing that took place. And they shared about hurtful moments when forgiveness and turning the other cheek was not an easy thing to do. And many of them shared that forgiveness not only was, but it is and it continues to often be a long and difficult and tenuous process to work through. But I think in the end, in our conversations, we came to have an understanding that forgiveness is not something that's instantaneous and that ultimately living into this mercy that Jesus invites us to live into And choosing love instead of resentment, it does eventually lead to a way of letting go. Of being able to forgive and to have a transformed way of seeing and indeed making it possible for us to live a new kind of life in this world. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life, but I, I think if, when you've had one of those experiences where you've really, truly had to forgive somebody, and when you do, it does free you, and it does transform the way in which you see things, and it does make it possible for you to live and to walk in a new kind of life. We need to keep reminding ourselves, this is a living salvation history. It's God's redemptive story. And oh, let's not forget that God is in the story. Yes, even today, even this very moment, God is in the story. And that we can hope for the resurrection of all things and that with God, through this agape love, this mercy, 
that Jesus has shared with us, there is and there always will be another turn, there will always be another chapter, there will always be another path, and there will also always be another opportunity to experience grace. In the midst of all of these multiple circumstances and situations that we face, let us remain grounded and rooted in the mercy and the love of Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And may we be encouraged and empowered by these very words. And hear them again. I have come to nourish your entire life with my mercy. I have come to empower you with mercy in order that you may indeed live a new kind of life in this world. Amen. I invite you to join me now as we pray together the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.